Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. Um, I don't think you can hear my <laughs> vacuum cleaner running in the background. I got a robot vacuum for Christmas. It is the best, best present ever. Um, when I did my sound check, I didn't hear it, so hopefully you don't hear it either. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, this drops. February 15th. So I hope you had a good Valentine's Day, unless you are listening um, through Patreon, in which case you're hearing this in January, the day I recorded it. Um, Anyway, uh, my Valentine's Day, obviously, still in the future. Uh, When I wrote this, I was still waiting for Inauguration Day. Um, Now that I'm recording, that was yesterday. So that has passed. Breathing a sigh of relief, still a lot of work to do, but feel like the possibility of um, progress being made exists once again. Anyway, politics aside, today we have another comedy from Plautus, um, Curculio. The title translates as The Weevil. Curculio is the parasite in in this play, so it makes sense um, to call him a weevil. but um, Henry Thomas Riley, whose translation I am once again using, uh, subtitles it The Forgery, which makes sense um, as far as the plot is concerned, but that is not a translation of the title. Um, no surprise, we don't know much about this play. Um, it's undated. Um, we don't even know what, if anything, it is based on. Um, as as we know, most most of Plautus's plays are based on Greek originals. Um, but we don't we don't have any idea what that is. Um, so it's possible it comes completely from the mind of Plautus. Who knows? But then there's no prologue to this play, at least that survived. Um, and that is frequently where the Greek original is mentioned. So if we don't have the prologue, we don't have the part of the play where Plautus frequently said, oh, it's based on the Greek play this by so-and-so. Um, so it, 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 who knows? Um, yeah. The play is set in Epidavros, which is a gorgeous site. Um, there are two big ruined things there. Um, there is the most amazing ancient theater um, where you can stand in the center and drop a pin and the people in the very back row can hear it. I have stood in the center of that stage and I had a friend sitting in the top row to take a picture of me standing in the center. And they're like, well, what? And, and like we were whispering to each other. And it was like we were right next to each other, just trying to to get the this picture set up. Um, it, it's amazing. Anyway, um, and the other um, big ruined thing is the Temple of Asclepius, um, the god of medicine. So, so there was a hospital there in ancient times. Um, not quite the way we think of a hospital, but a hospital nonetheless. Uh, the way it worked was that you'd go to the temple and spend the night in hopes that um, the god or one of his sacred snakes would uh, cure you while you slept. Um, I'll see if I can find a few pictures posted on the blog. Obviously, I know I have some, but I, they, they were taken on film um, and are in a photo album, and I, I would have to scan it, and it, the resolution would be terrible. Um, but we'll we'll see if I can find something. Anyway, because um, it, it is. And if not, just Google Google Epidauros. Um, I tend to pronounce it with a V sound, Epidauros, um, but it's usually spelled with a U where that V sound is. Anyway, um, I 
do have the notes from a production done at St. Olaf College in 2016. So I have an actual cast of characters to reference. Um, our love-struck young man is named Fedromos. Uh, his slave is Polinurus, uh, pardon me. Um, and the object of his affection is Planesium. Um, she's the nice prostitute next door, of course. Planesium is owned by Cappadox. And the doorkeeper at Cappadox's house is uh, uh, Liana. Uh, Curculio, our titular character, is uh, Phaedromus's parasite, already noted. Um, we have a braggart soldier, uh, Therapontigonus, and his banker is named Lyco. Um, and then there's the usual assortment of unnamed slaves and cooks and random attendants, um, spear carriers. What, what you? Okay, there. I don't think there's anybody actually carrying a spear. It's just the name of a role that we assign to ourselves when we are just in the chorus of a straight play. Um, so with that, we'll take a short break before going over the plot of this, which happens to be the shortest of Plautus's surviving plays. The play opens in the wee hours of the morning. Uh, Phaedromus and Polinurus enter. Polinurus grumbles about the fact that it's still dark out and asks Phaedromus why they're already out and about. Phaedromus points out the door to Cappadox's house and announces that he's in love, not with the door, um, with one of the women who lives behind that door. And she's in love with him too. But she's not free, and Phaedromus doesn't have the money to buy her off of, the, off of her procurer. Phaedromus has come with a nice bottle of wine in hopes of bribing the woman who serves as doorkeeper, um, or at least getting her drunk so that she stops tending her duty of keeping watch over the door. And they set the bottle down and hide. Liana, who um, may simply be called the procuress, depending on which translation you're using, enters from Cappadoxus's house. She smells wine. Uh, Polinurus plays a uh, blend of blind man's buff and keep away with the bottle while Liana tries to find it. Eventually, the two men give her the wine in exchange for a chance to see Planesium, uh, the object of Phaedromus's affection. Liana exits to fetch her, and the two women enter shortly thereafter. Phaedromus and Planesium pronounce their love for each other and bemoan the pickle that they're in. Planesium begs Phaedromus to find the money so that they can be together, and then she goes back into Cappadoxus's house. Phaedromus and Polinuros exit into Phaedromus's house to take a nap because, you know, they woke up way too early. Cappadox enters from the temple of Asclepius, um, which is a Esculapius in Latin, and I tend to pronounce it in Greek because Asclepius is easier to say. <laughs> anyway, he spent the night there, uh, but it doesn't seem to have done him much good. Uh, if anything, he feels worse now than he did before, and so he might as well just go home because clearly the god is not helping him. Polinurus enters and runs into Cappadox. Cappadox speaks about his ailment, and Polinurus volunteers to interpret Cappadox's dream from the night before. A cook enters from Phaedromus's house to remind Polinurus that the parasite will be home soon and they need to make breakfast for him. Polinurus says that he needs to interpret the dream first and the cook decides to join in the fun. Cappadox describes his dream and the two slaves assure him that it is not good. 
Cappadox decides that maybe he should go back to the temple and pray some more, and he exits back into the temple. The cook exits into Phaedromus' house. Palinurus sees the parasite coming and calls for Phaedromus, who enters from his house. Curculio enters. He has good news and bad news, but mostly he's hungry. Phaedromus assures him there is food and begs him to just get on with it. First, with the bad news. Curculio went to Caria to ask one of Phaedromus' friends for money um, to buy Planesium, which is what Phaedromus had asked him to do. But the bad news is the friend doesn't have any money either. Um, he too has squandered his fortune. But the good news is that Curculio then befriended the soldier, whose banker happens to be the very Lyco who lives here in Epidavros. And the soldier told Curculio about how Lyco is holding money for him to buy this girl. Uh, he's going to send someone with a letter sealed with this particular ring, and Lyco will give the money to that person. Uh, then the soldier invited him to dinner, and they dined and drank and played at dice, and Curculio won the ring off of the soldier in this game. Then the soldier fell asleep, and Curculio hightailed it back to Epidavros. He suggests they all go inside and use the ring to write a letter to get the money from Lyco. They all exit into Phaedromus' house. Lyco enters. He bemoans the fact that bankers spend their time borrowing money so that they can loan money, which means they never have any money of their own. Curculio enters and is pleased to see Lyco. He tells Lyco that Therapontigonus has sent him with a letter. Lyco recognizes the seal and accepts Curculio's story that he's really a slave named Sumanus. Cappadox enters, and Lyco explains that Cappadox is to send Planesium along with Curculio. They all exit into Cappadox's house. At this point, the Corrigus enters. Now, the Corrigus was basically the, the technical director or stage manager of the production. He wasn't, it's not a character. He's not a chorus. He's the person who's responsible for, he's like the chorus master, you know? He, he assembles the chorus. He's the musical director. He's, he, he does it all, but it's not, it's not a, a role with, it's, he's, Today he would be dressed all in black, the way, the way we dress when when we're we're working as as stagehands, who are very important people. It, trust me, they plays theater cannot happen without all of those people in uh, wearing wearing black, so that they are invisible to everybody in the audience. It, I've worked on stage and and off stage, and it is an incredible amount of work. Um, so so I just thank you to all of all of the tech techies that I have worked with over the years um I love you all um anyway where was <laughs> where was I I was I was at the Corgus the Corgus enters um and he delivers a monologue that it I mean it's so it's similar to to the parabasis that we see in Greek old comedy um except it serves even less purpose than a parabasis I mean it's just him shooting the breeze a little bit and talking about like the costumes and chatting with the audience um I'm guessing it you know it serves to let somebody change costumes I don't know um it really it a parabasis at least was kind of a plea to give the play first prize it does not even it does not even have that um or you know the parabasis was Aristophanes would would berate some politician yeah no nothing like that anyway one of the doors squeaks and the Corrigus exits, because clearly the play is about to, to continue. Um, 
an intermission feature? I don't know. Anyway, so Cappadox, Curculio, Lyco, and Planesium enter from Cappadox's house. Cappadox agrees to a warranty on the purchase of Planesium. If it turns out that she is freeborn, he'll return the money. Curculio exits with Planesium, Lyco exits to the Forum, and Cappadox exits back into the temple because, you know, he's still not healed yet. Therapontigonus and Lyco enter. Therapontigonus is furious to learn that someone has taken his money and used it to buy his girl. Lyco just shrugs when Therapontigonus insists that the letter is a forgery, and then he exits. Cappadox enters from the temple, and Therapontigonus asks what's happened to the girl he was planning to buy. After a bit of confrontation, Therapontigonus connects the dots and realizes that the Suminus who went to Lyco is the same as the Curculio who stole his ring. Um, and that is where we kind of get a little bit of a pun on that weevil, that Curculio means weevil. So it's like, is he calling him by his name Curculio or is he calling him, you know, that little bug who, who stole my ring? Um, Cappadox exits. Therapontigonus vows to find Curculio, and he too exits. Curculio enters from, from Phaedromus' house. He's stolen a ring from Planesium this time. And Planesium and Phaedromus follow shortly to try and get the ring back. You see, it's all that Planesium has left from her parents. Um, she insists that she was born a free woman. Therapontigonus enters. He and Curculio eye each other. After much business and discussion, Therapontigonus recognizes Planesium's ring. Why, it's the very same ring that he once gave to his sister, which means he has found his long-lost sister, the girl that he originally was going to buy um, off of off of Cappadox. Um, Cappadox enters and, of course, is forced to repay Therapontigonus's money because it turns out that... Planesium was indeed freeborn. So, Curculio had stolen the money with the the forged letter. Therapontigonus now gets his money back. He approves of of the engagement between Planesium and Phaedromus, and the play ends with everyone living happily ever after, except I suppose for Cappadox, who doesn't have the money anymore, and well, Lyco, who's still poor, but he's not on stage at this point. <laughs> but so that is the end of the play. I took classical comedy and satire my last semester of undergrad, along with my fellow triumvirs. Um, I was one of the few classes that all three of us were in together. Um, our prof knew that we were in the department, and we weren't just taking the class to compete our core lit requirement, that we were taking it for the classics credit. Um, in lieu of the original assignment um, for the final paper, he offered the three of us the option to write a much bigger paper on all of the Plautus influences on Stephen Sondheim's A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. So yeah, we could either write an easy paper or we could do more work and write a bigger paper. And we were seniors in our last semester of college. Um, we did the original assignment. But you know that this theater girl who's making this podcast for you now looks at every play by Plautus and thinks about where it does show up in Forum. Um, and Curculio indeed shows up at the end when Miles Gloriosus discovers uh, that Philia is his sister, um, 
when when they it turns out they have these matching rings that they got from their long lost father um yes <laughs> we so so that uh, obviously that class I, I still think about um and that is uh, that is exactly what we see happening we see Thera Pontigonus discovering that Planesium is his sister just like Melia's Gloriosus discovers that Philia is his sister we've got our braggart soldier and our friendly prostitute next door who turns out to be a freeborn woman anyway this is, I think, possibly the smoothest ending that we've seen from Plautus. I'm sure an actor still says, spectators, give us your applause to end the play. Um, but everything is really pretty much tied up before that happens. And honestly, that concluding line is so superflu superfluous that I didn't even mention it in the summary. Um, it, like, I got to the end of the play, I'm like, oh, I, I don't, I don't know why that line's there. I felt like the play was already over before someone told me the play was over. So that's just plowed, plowing convention, I suppose. Um, this play is a pretty good example of Roman comedy with most of the stock characters at, at their stockiest. Um, but there is something interesting to know in the characters of Polonurus and Curculio. Uh, once Curculio appears, Polonurus pretty much disappears. And this is likely because they were played by the same actor. And again, it's something, you know, we see in, in other plays. Um, the, uh, King Lear, um, the the Fool uh, also played, um, oh, who did, oh, now I'm blanking on, and the character. Anyway, so you know, why does the Fool disappear? It's because he's playing another character. The actor can't be on stage playing, playing both. Um, so... Yeah, you know, it's the same same sort of thing. So once Curculio is on stage and doing all this, well, Polonurus can't be there if he has played by the same actor. Um, now, in the Riley translation, they are on stage at the same time when Curculio first enters. Like, Polonurus has lines in that scene, um, and he does not exit, and he has more lines in Riley's translation. Um, but we have also seen that Riley does take some liberties um, in in other plays that we've read, so the yeah, he, he's not the most reliable of translators. Um, in in many ways, he's as much an interpreter as he is a translator. Um, anyway, so so we still see that Curculio's actions in the second half of the play, um, the whole forged letter, um, the trickery, the pretending to be this other slave um, to liberate Planesium. These are the sorts of actions that are typically associated with the clever slave, not the parasite. Um, and so in, it's almost as if the two characters, Palinurus and Curculio, who are played by one actor, come together to make one stock character. Um, and, and then... On top of that, Curculio tells Lyco that he's named uh, Sumanus. And if you want to go for the esoteric prize, the Latin puns that can be made with planesium, with that name, are the same sort of Latin puns that can be made with the name Sumanus. <laughs> so we can see that Plautus might have been playing around with the fact that the audience knew that it was one actor in both roles. Um, and because this is how my brain works. That makes me think of this mystery series that's set in the Upper Peninsula here in Michigan. Um, it, it's The Cat Who by Lillian Jackson Braun. So each title in the series starts with The Cat Who, The Cat Who Read Books, The Cat Who Sniffed Glue, The Cat Who. 
I can't remember. There are, she wrote a lot of, of these books. And, and for the most part, they're delightful. They start getting a little repetitive by the end, by the end of the series. But, but mostly they're fun. Very smart cats. Anyway, the, it's not the, I, it's not the cat. <laughs> they're not important to why I thought of this. Um, it made me think of this because one of the, the characters in, in the books is like this tall, tall, skinny dude. Um, and he does community theater. And so one of the jokes is that um, if, you know, he, he will sometimes get cast as multiple characters in a play and everybody knows that it's him because his physical type is so, is so unique. Um, so it's especially amusing if one of the characters he plays dies and then he shows up, you know, in a different costume a scene later because he's supposed to be someone else but it, it's hard for people to you know suspend disbelief um because clearly it's the same person and and that's what it made me think of so I can see this happening you know back when Kerkulia was new and that Plautus knew that there was whoever was going to be playing both Planesium and Kerkulio just it was going to be so obvious even with the masks and the costumes everyone was going to know they were the same person so he might as well make some jokes about it um yeah this is completely me spitballing i i have made up all of this except except for the latin pun thing um i i found a 2008 article all about the latin pun thing so that is that is not me that is what started my brain down this path of but why um other than there were only three actors possibly um, to play all the roles anyway. Um, so what do you think? Were Apollonurus and Kerkulia played by, by one actor? Um, do, do these two characters create a single stock type? Um, just what, what are your thoughts on this play? Please pop over to the blog and share them. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link, depending on your platform, are in the show notes. And please join me on Patreon. You can find me there as triumvirclio, and that URL is also in the show notes. On Wednesday, we have a little bit of a new adventure. We start a new Greek epic with the Argonautica by Apollonius of Rhodes. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.